I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to the Beyond COVID podcast from RAIN Network. In this podcast series, David Lawrence, co-founder of RAIN, speaks with Dr. Fred Southwick, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida's College of Medicine, and Dr. Bill Lang, an expert in public health responses to biological incidents about the current state of the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's listen in on this week's conversation. Fred and Bill, uh, thanks for joining us. Pre-Thanksgiving update. People are going to be gathering for the holidays. They're traveling, they're flying, sitting down for meals. I've heard a fair amount on the media about (laughs) keeping windows open, fans going, et cetera. And I know uh, we can always turn to you guys to sort of get the true lay of the land. Uh, So maybe you can tell us not only what's happening with COVID, but the infectious disease landscape uh, in general. Well, Fred, uh, David, as you know, we were talking just before we started, and we, right now, things are relatively quiet. And as I say that, I, you know, touch wood, as the they say in England, knock on wood, as we say, um, because things could change quickly. Right now, the three main diseases that we are looking at is number number one is still COVID that people are concerned about. But remember, this is not the same COVID. Even though everything we're seeing is Omicron. We have not seen a new major variant since Omicron. So the vaccines that were developed to to cover Omicron, that's the the bivalent vaccine of which we've had a couple of versions, so especially the newest version, should still be effective. Uh, But we are seeing minor variants that may cause some escape um, infections as we go through the year. But even though we're still seeing lots of COVID, we're not seeing the severe COVID of two, three years ago that was causing huge numbers of deaths. That being said, um, there there are still people dying of COVID on a regular basis. So people who are in in any risk category, which is the kind of the over over 60 officially, maybe pushing it over 70, is puts you in a higher risk category or well overweight or other significant respiratory or possibly vascular diseases. You know, I'm not saying anything new that we haven't said before. Those people really ought to be uh, making sure they are vaccinated um, and avoiding areas where they have high rates of COVID. But then that gets into the question of where are the rates of COVID? Do we even really know what the rates of COVID are? Probably the best way of tracking COVID is wastewater. And in certain areas of the country, the amount of COVID detected by PCR studies on the wastewater is going up. But when you look at the the objective data of COVID cases, um, it's pretty flat throughout the country. Um, the areas are seeing significant increases are counterbalanced by areas that are seeing uh, decreases. Clinically, I've been seeing more cases, but not sick people, just people who test positive. Um, not seeing anyone, not seeing many people who are very sick. Just it's more like a, a flu-like syndrome. Um, and speaking of flu-like syndromes, 
we we did start to see the beginning of a pickup in COVID cases in early November. Well, now as we get into the, I'm sorry, of flu cases in early November, but that's actually flattened. It didn't take off like we kind of thought that it might. Um, the Just as a ratio, we're seeing uh, roughly 300 flu cases uh, reported to the CDC, and that's a meaningless number except as a relative number. A at the height of the flu season, a typical number that they're seeing, again, on this relative reporting is about 2,500. So, and that's what they saw last year. So we're right now at about a roughly an, an eighth to a tenth of a bad, a, a, a kind of typical flu season level because last year was relatively typical for flu. And then the last, the last big uh, infection that we're watching is RSV. Um, we're not seeing RSV take off like we did last winter. Now, part of that is because we now have an RSV vaccine. We're seeing lots of marketing for the RSV vaccine, um, but people are getting it. Yeah, anyone over 60, especially if you have grandkids, well, and I'm, I'm thinking 60-year-olds, mainly grandkids, or 60-year-olds with kids, um, should be getting getting the vaccine as much to protect the little ones the you know especially that 18 month to 30 month range where it can be devastating um, that's a it's important to get the RSV vaccine but also to protect yourselves because elderly people and again I'm the elderly in this setting is officially 60 to 65 but really as you start pushing a little bit higher are again at risk from RSV so those are the three. COVID not really starting to take off. We feel clinically like it's it's a little bit higher, but we're not seeing the numbers to support any significant takeoff in it. Flu looked like it was starting to take off. It didn't. It's pretty flat over the course of November. And RSV, RSV also pretty flat, um, but that may be because people are actually getting vaccinated. So I'll, I will shut up there and let, let Fred... Uh, Tell us what he's thinking. Yes, uh, one, one of the things we recall from the past is Thanksgiving was a very scary time in that people are coming together at the dining hall and the in a dining room in relatively closed spaces, eating and talking. And that is, the, that is the situation where aerosols would be most likely to produce. So it's very fortunate that as of right now, all of these infectious agents are relatively low activity. There was a big fear uh, when a BA 2.86 showed up uh, because that one is compared to the previous Omicrons had multiple multiple mutations very similar to the difference between Delta and Omicron. And the theory is, the thought is that that one originated in an immunocompromised host. Someone who had a very weakened immune system and what that what happens then is the individual carries the infection for a prolonged period of time, allowing mutations to occur, uh, multiple mutations, and therefore a marked variation. And I think 30 or 40 uh, amino acid difference in BA2.86. However, the good news was it was not very contagious. So it really fell flat. There is a, a variant of the BA2.86 called JN1, that is starting to take off a little bit in France. So that one possibly could spread soon to other countries. And the reason we're worried about it, it is 
is quite different antigenically, which means the vaccines may not be quite as protective, although the preliminary evidence shows that the uh, boosters are protective even for these uh, strains that are quite different. And the other key point uh, which Bill has already made is that the Omicron certainly is not as virulent. That is, it doesn't cause a severe disease as the Delta variant or the earlier variants did. However, uh, when because it was more infectious, it infected a larger pool of individuals and those that were immunocompromised, those who were over the age of 65, end up being hospitalized at a high rate. And when you look at in-hospital mortality, the actual percentages were similar to those that were hospitalized for Delta. And that wasn't because the virus was more, uh, caused more severe disease. It's the individuals that, that it, caused, it caused disease in where we had a weakened immune system and were more vulnerable to the infection and had other underlying conditions. So it took less to tip them over to cause them to die. And that's why the mortality has actually been comparable. And there have been uh, a large number of deaths due to the Omicron a total of about 80,000 since it's originated in the United States. So further emphasizing, Fred, uh, obviously the, uh, the guidance that you and Bill have always referenced for people, particularly in a certain age group, or who have uh, prevailing health issues to be vaccinated. Absolutely. I, I agree. I agree completely. I, I, I still and this is, I think Fred and I disagreed a little bit. I still, I'm not pushing hard on younger, healthy people to get vaccinated. Um, but I think anyone who has risk factors, 100% should be vaccinated with the, with the most up-to-date vaccine. All right, which leads to uh, one of the questions that we constantly get from our clients. Uh, there's a great expression that uh, you're only as happy as your least happy child. And uh, so a CEO said to me, um, my people are only as effective as their least well child. And so as you think about kids and you think about RSV, you think about COVID, uh, you think about the flu, et cetera, what's the advice that you're giving to your patients and you know, the institutions that you advise? I, biggest thing I'm saying is you you get vaccinated in accordance with the recommendations. And again, and I'm I'm a little I back off a little on the recommendation for across the board um, COVID. Certainly for anyone who is is compromised in any way or or older. Um, but for kids, make sure your kids are vaccinated with all all of the standard vaccines. One of the big problems post COVID. You know, post the, the high rates of COVID, is that vaccine rates, the pediatric vaccination rate has dropped significantly. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was it was in double digits. Um, that is that's a as a family doc who takes care of a lot of kids, that really scares me, because it's you know, the fewer kids that are vaccinated, the more stuff is going to be running around. And even when you're vaccinated, remember, vaccines are not 100% effective. So the more that your kids are exposed to something, the more they're going to develop various kinds of upper respiratory infections. So get your kids vaccinated. But then otherwise, I, I, I tell people, look, 
we're back to to pretty much our baseline um, in terms of respiratory infections. Um, in fact, we may be a little higher on the more routine respiratory infections because our immunity is probably down a little bit, but they're not the kind of things that are gonna disrupt, disrupt life. So corporate organizations can be back into normal activity. They should be monitoring COVID and flu rates, and if the rates go up, then then we should consider putting in place some modest controls so that you don't disrupt the operations of your organization. But at this point, we're at a, we're at a time when people can be, I don't know how to put it best, but acting normally as it relates to infectious disease, to okay. respiratory infectious disease. And Bill, let me just probe you very quickly because it, it does tie into some of the conversations I've been having. And to what do you attribute this decline in I'll call it normal vaccination rates. Oh, I think there was just vaccines were something that most parents didn't think about. They took their kids into the pediatrician, and the pedi- the pediatrician or the nurse would say, "Okay, you know, little Susie's due for this, that, and the other thing," and they'd go, "Okay." Now people are there because of all the arguments about COVID vaccine. There are a lot of people out there who just aren't trusting the system. And so they're thinking twice, and the the nurse says, you know, Susie needs this, that, and other. Well, okay, but let me think about that one a little bit. And they don't, and they don't, never come back and get it done. So this distrust that was developed throughout the COVID, um, the COVID period is just been is I don't want to say devastating. That's stating it too strong, but it has had a significant negative impact on people's trust of public health recommendations. Bill, I would really agree with that, and it's it's really unfortunate. And uh, the word that should be used uh, for these types of behavior is disinformation. That is actively uh, telling uh, uh, really lies, and, and this has been a huge problem, and it's it's damaging all our population, and it's really unfortunate. And I'm hoping that uh, the press is now being encouraged to actually use the word not misinformation, because that's accidentally getting it wrong. Disinformation is knowing that you're you're going against the true science and you're doing it for publicity and possibly making money. And uh, we need to call out disinformation when we see it. And that is a form of lying uh, where you get notoriety and possibly even financial gain from lying. And that's really got to be called out. And we've got to stop this. Because uh, children, uh, when they're not vaccinated, this is going to cause future harm. And uh, why should kids be unnecessarily hospitalized or even possibly die as a consequence of vaccines that are really safe and effective? And as as it relates to childhood vaccination, Fred, I agree with you 100%. There are people out there who are just putting out information that you can very easily show the the, the benefits of uh, vaccination for children and with with relatively low risks. Everything has risks, but when you look at the risk benefit. With some of the COVID issues, there I think there's that honest people can have disagreements um, about some of the data that we saw, some of the recommendations. Um, but the, the 
biggest problem has been the lack of trust that that has caused in right. non-medical people that they don't know who to believe. Sometimes we just need to say, you know, okay, we're gonna we may agree to disagree, and here's some of the reasons, but not fight about it as much, so that people actually do do the things they need to do to protect their their children and uh, and also to protect grandparents because there are some vaccines you know as as healthy adults young adults we don't think about vaccines much but once you start getting a little bit older you start having to think about RSV and think about pneumonia and getting those vaccines and I, I don't I haven't seen data on it but I would bet you those vaccine rates are down too yeah I, I just uh, David I, I just want you to know I got the influenza vaccine I got the COVID booster, the most recent COVID booster vaccine, and I received the RSV vaccine, and I had no side effects from any of them, and now I'm protected, and I'm, it's a great relief. Uh, not only uh, are you protected, but you feel a little more secure in going out in the public environment, and the risks are not as great. Well, I was going to say, Fred, uh, you actually anticipated my comment, and we constantly explain this to people. Um, and this goes, look, um, one of the unfortunate consequences of the pandemic has been a loss of trust. And it's not just simply in the healthcare, it's a loss of trust. You're seeing this play out politically, you're seeing it play out yeah. with leading law enforcement agencies, uh, the government writ large, corporations, et cetera. Um, and, you know, we're going to be living with this for a long time. But the question, and I, I, I raised this because it was taught to me long ago, uh, when people seek financial advice, wrong question to ask a financial advisor, what should I do? The right question is, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> and similarly, Fred, you spoke eloquently, uh, the ability to ask a doctor, what are you doing? What is your family doing? What are your grandkids doing? Right? What are your parents doing? That is the right question. And we'll, you know, I think it's one of the, the simple measures to break down this barrier of distrust. And it's interesting, uh, just to give you a quick anecdote, I recently had to uh, find a new primary care physician because uh, my doctor of a number of years had you know, moved out to the Midwest, his wife had a great job off. And so I, you know, did some research. I won't get into which network I was in or whatever, but uh, I thought I found uh, the right doctor. Unfortunately, I did. Uh, but it was very interesting, uh, you know, as he's doing the intake and, you know, he has my file and whatever. He says to me, uh, I want you to know at the outset, uh, my specialty is infectious diseases and I believe in vaccinations. And he paused, he stopped right there. <laughs> and and I, I had to laugh uh, because I said, that's nice. And I assume you're fully vaccinated. He says, yes, I am. I said, okay, I'm good, I'm good. But it was interesting because obviously um, in sort of taking in a new patient, he felt compelled to tell me this, yeah, right? Wow which reflects the current zeitgeist. And to your point, Bill, of, you know, people, you know, shying away from this stuff and, you know, the disinformation out there, et cetera. So I appreciate uh, 
both of your uh, perspectives on this. Uh, last quick question, um, which you know we were discussing before the podcast. Uh, anything that you're that's sort of keeping you up at night, and then also during this holiday period, what's the best way for people to stay abreast uh, of any new changes in the landscape? The the two pieces of data that I find the most useful are the uh, changes in ER visits for COVID because they're actually they do most ERs are rapid testing everybody. And you've got to look at the data. Is it positive tests or positive tests for COVID? Um, and that's, that's, that's a harder one to figure out which they're actually reporting. But I find that to be useful data because it's people who are actually sick enough that they need care. So that's number one. Um, number two, I think that the, the wastewater data, especially if you happen to live in some place that does wastewater data, there are about um, it's roughly 1,500 sites in the country that are testing their, uh, testing their wastewater for COVID. Some are just doing very, very rough quantitative testing. Other have pretty, pretty significant quanti- significantly sophisticated um, testing. I think that's, that's useful to follow that. But looking at, at death rates, looking at uh, reported incidents, re- reported cases of COVID, all of that's really, it's too difficult to know for sure what they're reporting. So that's what I'm following. Uh, Bill, I would agree. One other thing that I think is very important is we encourage the government to continue, the CDC, to continue to full genomic sequences of the COVID uh, of the viruses because uh, that really can portend a surge in the future if we see uh, a, a variant which uh, we know now where, what amino acids are most important for infectiousness. We also know which uh, mutations are likely to escape the vaccines. So I think it's very, very important we continue, uh, and this is something that costs money, and uh, the temptation is to stop doing genomic sequencing. But that's very, very important because as we've talked about before, about before, this is an RNA virus. It's very inaccurate at reproducing. It creates normally creates mutations, and therefore it is going to drift. And we have to know the nature of those drifts so we can anticipate possible surges in the future. And keep in mind that we are seeing increases in what CDC calls ILI, influenza-like illnesses, basically viruses, while we are not seeing significant increases in flu or COVID. So what else is out there doing that? There are other viruses. Maybe it's the other four coronaviruses. Maybe it's just the typical cold viruses, although they don't usually create situations where people are going in and getting tested. But um, we are seeing plenty of influenza-like illness out there. Um, So you know, be careful to avoid, if you're, if you can avoid crowded places, that's good. If you can avoid people that are obviously ill, that's good. Um, but I, right now we're at a, a good spot, but I'd keep an eye on it. Okay. And as we've seen with recent geopolitical events, as soon as you, <laughs> you wet your guard down, something happens. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I assume you would tell people to, you know, continue to, they can check in with you know, there are a number of sort of great sites um, in terms of 
the Mayo Clinic and Hopkins and the CDC and et cetera, that people can check to see what's going on. And some maps are still up so you can see what's going on in your particular area. And so uh, I assume both of you would agree that uh, occasional check-ins are always helpful. You can't be too cautious. Okay. Anyway, I want to wish you both the very, very best uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday. And again, deep gratitude for the thoughtfulness and the time that you, you are sharing uh, with the audience. Uh, stay safe and uh, hopefully things will remain calm, but why don't we uh, we'll schedule something uh, right before uh, the end of the year holidays uh, just to further catch up. Thank you again, right. Fred, Bill, you, as David. always. Take care, David. This is the Rain Insights podcast, which is part of the Rain Insights series, comprised of both virtual and real-world events, offering unique practical perspectives from Rain's leading experts in risk management. To learn more, please visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>